Yeah, like, I mean, you're sort of saying, like, about a 5K or a 10K, like it is, as soon as a gun goes, you're, you're out of there. You know, it's just run hard for as long as you can sort of thing, you know, and even sort of the atmosphere in it. Like, I always sort of tell this story of, uh, like, a, was it a five-mile race somewhere, and someone at the start line said, oh, good to see you here, Paddy. I'm going to sit on you for as long as I can then. And, you know, you're kind of going you're not going to sit me kind of thing. And then, <laughs> you know, sure, it's sort of, you sort of get that aggressive mentality at the start just to go on eyeballs out from the from the gun. Whereas the, the 100K, you're kind of going, right, I'm going to have to go out here uh, at a pace that's slower than the long run on a Sunday just to try mm-hmm. and sort of manage myself. So it's very much more relaxed. People are talking. You know, there is kind of a bit more of an enjoyable experience, really. Uh, even though you fell 100k, did it? That, my friend, was Paddy Hamilton. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey, everyone. Hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh, and I'm your host. So welcome to the podcast. Can't believe we have been absent for almost four months. Just like to thank everyone for the continued support. I wanted to hold off until I could commit to a weekly episode, and that time has come. Having scheduled four episodes this week, you're in for a treat. And who better to start with than fellow clubmate, Sleeve Gullion runner's Paddy Hamilton, who at his first attempt in the world of ultras smashed the field apart to take first place in the 100km race to the stones. Paddy is more commonly seen pushing the front in 5Ks and 10Ks, and he took on the race to the stones to gain some valuable learning for his up-and-coming marathon to Sables. Crossing the line in first place in his first race demonstrates how much potential Paddy has, and I look forward to seeing what the future has in store for him as he continues down the path of pain in the world of ultra running. Paddy is running the MDS to raise much-needed funds for the hospice, So if you'd like to support Paddy, why not click on the link in the show notes and give a small donation. I'm sure all donations will be greatly received. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to More Mountain Adventures. If you're lucky enough to live in Ireland, check out our Facebook page where we offer a wide variety of hikes to suit all abilities. We've had a great year with our base camp expeditions and two-day guided hikes where we provide top-of-the-range camping equipment such as North Face and Nordisk Mountain Tents. For more information, why not join our Facebook group, More Mountain Adventures, also found on Instagram and LinkedIn. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure I give you Paddy Hamilton and the Race to the Stones. Here, we'll just go with it anyway, Paddy. Thanks very much for coming on. Um, the first time I have redone the podcast in, I don't know how long it is now, three or four months. It's a bit fitting to have a sleeve gullion runner on the podcast and to be talking about Race to the Stones, of all things. Like we, ha- we had a bit of a running joke on the podcast at the very beginning. And I used to try and talk about the Race to the Stones, no matter who the guest was. So <laughs> my mates knew I was doing it, like, and it became a bit of a running joke. So really... <laughs> It used to be, it didn't matter who who the the person was on that we had on the podcast. We always used to ask, yeah, but did he do? Has he run race to the stones? If he hadn't, he wasn't worth his salt. Yeah. Um. So you actually had run run the race, but not only run it, um, you actually won it. But I just before we get into the race to the stones, I do want to strip it back a little bit so people know a bit more about yourself, um, sort your background in running as well, like because you've come from a you know, I've got a list of your PBs in front of me here. Your 5,000 meters, 10,000 meters. So like sub 15 minutes, sub 30 minutes. Um, your half 
correct me if I'm wrong here, 66 minutes and 29 seconds. Like that is like, you're saying thinking, was that right? <laughs> Criminal paces though. So if you always- Yeah, to be honest, I, I, I can't even remember what it is. <laughs> but you, you have been like, have you always been running like right back to school? No. And to be fair, probably it's actually about 20 years uh, this month. I went to the US on a scholarship. It wasn't athletics. It was just through my degree. Uh, and then after about six weeks there, I joined the cross-country team just for something to do. Um, and that's basically how I got into running. So it's been doing it basically for, for 20 years. Yeah. was it, When you got into the cross-country then, was it a natural sort of, like were you sort of a gifted runner at that stage or were you sort of middle of the pack or um no at the, at the very start no i was kind of at the back of the pack but i picked it up pretty quick um like i think when i first joined the team they're about halfway through their season so we had one meet and then we had conference so from coming basically dead last on the team to maybe a few weeks later in conference i got into the varsity squad and then went qualified and then regionals so i suppose yeah you it probably did come mm. naturally enough to me that i was able to good enough to get to that stage and probably by the end of that year before i came home i was running 15 i think it was 15 15 around for a 5k that's, that's so you could probably like... say that that's that's off sort of six seven months yeah they've got fant- <clears throat> sorry they've got a fantastic system over there though don't they like did you see did yeah you no, see a like, big difference well, I was in. I went to a very small school, like it was a Division Two school, maybe a couple of thousand people in it. But to be honest, it was perfect for me, having never ran before. Um, it was it was ideal, you know. No real pressure. There was maybe like yeah, and I mean, some of the universities that they were sending the people out to on these scholarships, like they basically sent about two hundred odd students from Northern Ireland out to the US universities, and I think they were sent them to like. I think there was either one or two people went to each university. So you're talking about 100 to 200 universities we all went to. So you could have gone to a big university like Villanova. And, you know, if I'd gone there with a really good running program, I would have been an absolute nobody and I probably wouldn't have taken it up then. Mm. You know, so the fact that I went to a smaller school with a good program, like we had a couple of transfers from some of the big Division One schools. So there were good runners, but there was a good mix. So it was just ideal for what I needed at, at that time. Unknowingly, but you must have been pretty fit and athletic back then as well, though. So, like, did you do any like Gaelic or football when you were at home? No, like, I, I played sort of a few team sports in school, um, and I would have been just your typical sort of person. Maybe ran two or three times a week, half an hour, and you do that for a few months, and then you leave it for a few months, and then you go back to it. So, like, a casual jogger, you know. I think if I did a ten k race. I think I did Lisbon one year and I ran maybe 50 minutes or something, you know, so it wasn't... I, I am going to look, like I am gonna look for that result. <laughs> I'm going to unpack it somewhere and stick it up. Paddy Hamilton, 50 minutes, like in the 10K. <laughs> um, but it does show you how it progresses and how it moves on. What was your mindset when you come back home then at 15 minute 5K? You start taking it yeah, a bit well, more seriously. I'd sort of, yeah, like I, I suppose I'd known, like, I mean, I sort of, I'm saying there that I'd never done athletics. I actually was a member of Lisbon for about a year and I was about 15 and it just lasted a year and that was really it so I kind of sort of knew the clubs within the local scene anyway so when I came back I sort of knew 15-15 would be sort of competitive enough uh, and then when I did come back I think Northern Ireland Championships were on at the time 
and I did the 5k there. I can't remember where I came. I think maybe it was second or third. Um, after that, I joined Amadeus Striders, and then yeah, just got into their sort of training regime and was doing that for a few years. Then I went over to London with work. Um, was pretty much just training by myself. Um, training with a club maybe once or twice a month, close to where I worked. But ever since probably then, I've just been doing it pretty much by myself, um, for the most part. Yeah, were you focusing around that distance M five K or at that time? You know, when you went over to London. Yeah, like I suppose, like the setup with Annadale, you know, that basically was a club of track runners, really. Um, so we really all were the group that I was with was anything from eight hundred meters to ten thousand meters, you know. So uh, we're all fairly competitive. Um, so yeah, it was a good sort of environment to push each other on. Um, yeah, and I kind of just sort of. I loved the track, so I kind of just kept on that sort of 5K, um, 10K road races in the winter um, on, on that sort of pathway. And you're, you're training back then to try and maintain, because it's pretty hard, isn't it? Like the 5K is maybe one of the hardest <laughs> um, distances to do. It's just eyeballs out from the from the off. Yeah, I suppose it is. It is kind of different from when you're going to do like marathons or even ultras now, you know, it's, uh, I suppose I'm doing a wee bit more volume of that than what I would have done before, but it's the intensity of that track stuff that uh, does the damage. And I would probably been injury prone enough over the years, you know, with sort of hips and calves and Achilles. But I'm all I was also lazy as well, so I probably didn't do the strength and conditioning and the stretching and foam rolling that you probably should have been doing. And yeah, that probably didn't didn't really help me either. Yeah, do you think that there's there was good learning then to be had back early on that can be can help you now, sort of when you look back on reflection? Probably, but do you know what I'm lazy? You know, it's, yeah. especially, part of your makeup. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, like it's I suppose everyone's the same. You know, we work we work hard during the week. It's a hobby at the end of the day. Like, yeah. you know, it's never good enough to be. I've always classed myself as a good club runner. I wouldn't have been you know, winning national titles or anything. Like, I could have sort of hung with them for a bit, but I wasn't going to be, like, I wouldn't have been going to the Olympics or anything. So, you know, I had to, you have to make your living and then you got have a family mm. and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's hard to sort of squeeze all those things in. You know, it's... It's all relative, you know, isn't like it? At the minute, yeah, I mean, like, at the minute you're leaving the house at just after seven, you're coming home at half six, you're trying to help, help with the kids and stuff, and then you're going out for an hour, an hour and a half to run. Some nights you're not getting back into 10 o'clock at night. And I'm not going to sit there and start stretching and doing strength and conditioning and stuff, you know. So it is a bit of a balance and you you kind of try and do what you can. But you, you don't want to be taking it too seriously either or be too selfish. You know, you have to you have to sort of balance balance life. Yeah, it's hard to sustain that as well, like year in, year out. Um, I know when I said to my physio, I was going to start doing strength and conditioning. X, Y, and Z, like, and he says, like, you have, you're not even a consistent runner. <laughs> what are you thinking about <laughs> getting your strength and conditioning for? He says, you need to manage yeah. your time a bit better and get a bit more consistency in your running first. So that can be, like, a lot of people that do strength and condition don't have that consistency. And that's a major word, major word, really, isn't it? Consistency in your running, something you have had. Yeah, and I think, I think even with the strength and conditioning, you know, like, I think people probably jump into that without just having basic fundamentals of strength anyway or balance and coordination you know it's what's your uh, what's your weaknesses 
I suppose, I suppose, just in, in in general, for a lot of runners, you know, you're you're talking sort of core hip and hips and glutes. You know, that's <laughs> just your typical sort of stuff. But you know, we do have like a lot of people would be very weak in those areas. I suppose it's just from the sort of sedentary lifestyle that we live in. We're in cars all the time. We sit in an office or whatever the job may be. But um, I know myself. You know, if if I went to a strength conditioning coach, he'd be helping me doing basics for a long time because. You know, I try and stand on one leg or hop, and you know, it'd be it'd be laughable. You know, it's it's pathetic. What made you move then towards sort of the half marathon distance? Was was that just the next natural progress? Yeah, well, I suppose I was doing, I suppose I was doing the five k, ten k sort of stuff, and then I can't even remember when or how I got so involved, but uh, double marathon was sort of setting up the marathon mission. Um, God, I don't even know how many years ago that was now. So I sort of went down to a few of their sessions down in Dublin. We kind of sort of met once or twice a month. It was just once a month. And that kind of got me into that sort of group of doing halves and starting to think about doing the marathon. But probably at the time, the volume that I was doing wasn't sufficient to be jumping straight into it. So I was probably with them for maybe two or three years before I actually uh, did a marathon in the first place. So what made you, what made you take that leap? Because did you find that I suppose, was... it's like, I suppose it's like a lot of people sort of maybe it's different now um, with marathon being that competitive, but I suppose it was you got to an age where you thought, mm, "Am I going to get any quicker at a five or ten k?" Mm. So let's just move up the distances. Um, probably in hindsight, I think I jumped a wee bit too early. You know, I think I probably still had a wee bit to give more in the five and ten k's. But can you remember your first marathon? Yeah, but I've actually only done two. Right. Uh, I've done Dublin twice. Uh, the first Dublin was, it was the year that um, probably sort of the financial crisis hit. So they lost their main sponsor. So they didn't have a sponsor that year. And they basically were making it a Irish-only race. Okay. So there's no Africans in it. And that's the one which Sean Hanger won. So yeah, like I've, I went into it not really with any expectations and I did okay. I think it came fifth. I say fourth or fifth. I think it was fifth. I think it was fifth again. And how did you find that compared to your like sort of track running five kegs? It's a different experience altogether, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was good. I mean, I had a I had a half marathon down in uh, Wexford about four weeks before, and it was probably the worst half marathon I've ever done in my life. Uh, there was actually a point in the race I actually was about to walk because I just was on empty, and I was like, "How the hell am I meant to do a, a marathon?" You know, so. Even after that half, the coach was like, right, don't even worry about times or speed. Go and do it, but make sure you finish. You know, it was all the conversation was, don't finish it. And then that becomes almost a bit of a habit. So that was always our thing was just like, like whatever it is, it is, but just make sure you finish. So that was the first one. So I, that was quite good. I probably took it a bit more seriously the second time, but I probably overtrained really. And uh, what time the did you get? just fell off. First one was two twenty three something. Um, the second one was, I think, two twenty four, two twenty five or something. But uh, the training for that one had been much better. But like I said, I just cooked it, and about a month out, mm-hmm. I knew it cooked it, and I was just trying to get the body back again. But uh, stupid. Like for for first marathon two twenty three, like did you ever think at that stage of taking that up a bit more seriously then, and and think the likes of Olympics and things like that? Um, well, yeah, I suppose you sort of do hope that, uh, you know, you can push on and progress for that. Um, 
I'm trying to even think sort of what happened in the years mm. between that. You know, I think, do you know what? Just life happens. Yeah. Uh, like in that first Dublin marathon, I had one child, now I have three. Uh, change of jobs, moving house. It's hard, like, like 223 to come out that quick um, to start off with, you know, knocking one minute off that or two minutes off that takes so much more dedication. And when you're talking yeah. to getting down to 2.15, you see the likes of Paul and Kevin and those guys now, like what it takes um, yeah. just to move to that next level. You know, it's so, such a big commitment. And, and to your point, it all depends on your whole, your own life situation, doesn't it? And how much you want to commit to yeah. that. And yeah. I mean, full, full credit to someone like, uh, I'd have huge respect. Like, I would know Kevin well enough, but, uh, you know, I'd have huge respect for Kevin. You know, he's a, what is he, he's a vice principal or something of the <laughs> school. And, uh, like, so he's obviously pressure enough job. Uh, and, uh, like, for how he squeezes in the sessions. And I think he does a lot of the sessions in the morning time. Mm-hmm. Like, I can barely drag himself out of bed and go for a half hour jog, you know. So I don't, I don't know how he, how he does it. Uh, and then I know sort of Paul, you know, he, he's a doctor and he's able to sort of fit in sort of um, shifts around the training, which which helps. Um, but look, we, but we have to do what we... Everybody's life situations everyone. is different. Like, yeah, that's so. it. Yeah. And um, so to, like, when was when did you run your last marathon? I suppose the question I'm going to lead to is why was it your last one? Yeah, well, I think, again, I think it's just sort of life things took over and one year led to another and... You know, then, um, then there was, I'm trying to even think when the last marathon was. You know, I, I can't, even, I can't yeah. even remember what, what year that was now. That's all right. That's all <laughs> sort of like you're living my life. That's sort of the way I am with running, Robbie. You know, I sort of yeah. just go along with it and just do what I do at the time. But, uh, so yeah, I think there's just a lot sort of going on. So that's kind of why the years sort of go past. And then you, COVID comes around and, you know, you lose another year and, you know, things like that. And, you know, quickly you quickly go through your thirties if if you're not if you're not careful. So how did you find that with the whole COVID situation? I suppose that's one of the reasons why the podcasts have been paused as well. You know, because there were no races happening, there wasn't big things jumping up on the scene. Um, like for me initially, I didn't realize how much or what I got out of running until actually it got t- yeah. taken away, and that whole social aspect and the whole focus. Um, I suppose I shouldn't say this, but I'm sitting here about twelve pound heavier <laughs> than what I used to be. Um, but again, life situations and, and things like that, I was okay to park that for that moment in time. Um, but did you? I suppose there's a deeper question there of when you're when you're consistently running like that, what running means to you, like, and how did that feel during the COVID situation when there was no racing happening? Yeah, well, like I mean, I've always been a bit of a lone runner. Robbie, to be honest, you know, I suppose, like I said, I would have trained with Annadale for a bit, but then work took me over to London. I'd have been working continental shifts, so, you know, it wasn't conducive mm-hmm. to meeting up with club with a club. So the five or six years I was over there, I was pretty much training by myself, by and large, the odd club session I would jump in with. Uh, then when I came back home, again, I, I kind of made the conscious decision not to be... <laughs> With endurance sports, you have to be sort of selfish. Mm. And I didn't want to be selfish. So, especially with a young family, it was always, I come home, I do the stuff with the family, and then I do running. And that's not conducive to meeting up with a club at, say, meeting at six o'clock and doing your mm. session and then coming home. You know, I think the wife would have me kicked out the out the door, you know, have my bag sitting 
sitting at the front door for me coming back. So I always did it by myself. And so there's no different with COVID. You know, it's okay, there's no races, but I still like getting out and clearing the head after a day's work and uh, logging some miles. So COVID for me wasn't a big deal in terms of the running thing. You know, it's, I don't do running for, I mean, you mentioned about being the whole social thing. I don't do it for the social thing. Mm-hmm. I do it because I, I enjoy it and I enjoy going out and going for a run. And yeah, I meet up with people the other time and again on the school crack and whatever, but I can happily go out and do 100 miles a week on my own week after week after week. And so good headspace. Good headspace it after is, yeah, work, like, about me time. Like, not that I have, I know sort of mental health is a big sort of. Yeah, terminology yeah. at the minute but it is good for the mental health and just going out and clearing the head and like you're running down the road and you're probably having conversations to yourself about things that happened at work that day or home life but once you get home it sort of has cleared the head and that's sort of what well, i get out of running a lot and uh but you have yeah, a lovely so you have a lovely too. set in there though you do a lot of running down rain sleeve gullion yeah like i mean if, i guess i have been quite lucky i've always lived out in countryside other than the time in london so um yeah, it's, I suppose we haven't moved down here, well, it was about six or seven years ago. Um, kind of with the mountains on the doorstep. That's probably what sort of has pushed me into that sort of trail world. Uh, but I mean, I can still remember the first time I went to go up running up Sleeve Gully and the first time I went to go up running Ravensdale there. I think I, when I went up to the first time in Ravensdale, I went halfway up the path, in fact, half a mile up the path. And then I just turned around and came back. I was like, no, this is a flipping stupid this. I'm, I'm going uphill here and I'm not even getting anywhere. So it's like, just turn around and come back again. Whereas now I don't even, don't even think about it. But like, <clears throat> anybody knows, Paddy, like I watched your video there on um, the Race of the Stones. Like you're in great physical shape. <laughs> it annoys me to watch that video. Like even your hair, I have to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, is nutrition a big focus for you? Uh, no, again, that's one of the things I'm lazy about. Uh, look, obviously, if I was, I think, last was it last December, I was had a bit of a knee issue, so I was off about six weeks. Now I haven't weighed myself in about three years. I just, I just don't. It doesn't bother me about yeah. what weight. I sort of know by looking at myself in the mirror whether I'm in shape or not, or whether I'm got mm. a few pounds on and shooting. I don't need to stand on a scale, but. Even in those six weeks, like being close to 40 at that time, like the pounds just piled on, you know. So the running and the volume that I do sort of keeps yeah. the weight off. But I know that if I stop, I'd have to really seriously think my diet because I do have, do have a sweet tooth like a lot of runners. And, you know, it's a cup of tea and not just one biscuit, it's two or three biscuits. And I enjoy my takeaway at the weekend or going out for dinner and having a steak and rich peppered sauce and big fat chunky chips you know so <laughs> look i'm not gonna i don't make a living out of running so i'm not gonna yeah, yeah. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deprive myself of things that i enjoy i don't really drink that much you know so it's not like i'm painting away at the weekend so but it's, know, it is good to know like you know food. so when we come to the race of stones which you actually won um you know it's important to know that type of lifestyle you know, you, you don't have to have this specific regiment or like nutrition, strength and conditioning, up in the miles, be so disciplined that it overtakes everything else to become a good runner. So it is important, you know, to to sort of unpack those type of things. Yeah, I can look at, and I suppose it depends on the type of person you are. 
Yeah. Like I said, for that's probably just not me. You know, I had an older brother, not two older brothers, but my eldest brother. He cycled for Ireland, and he would have been regimented as anything. He'd have gone into a room, he'd have locked him, locked the door, and stretched for an hour every night. He would have microwaved a bit of mince to drain the fat off and measured out his food, and he would have been make sure that his sleep was perfect. Like he would have been doing things to the T, mm. whereas I'd be the complete opposite. You know, so even like an example, uh, a couple of years ago, Christmas time, I had like a dessert and then had another one after that. And he was saying, you're not having another one, are you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, why? And he, then he started talking about, oh, when I was cycling, I had uh, one dessert a year and that was my treat. And you're like, God, you know, get a life. <laughs> but you have to but be very it careful. It just depends what person you yeah, are. You have to be very careful with that as well. Cause I remember talking to Sarah McCormick, who's a phenomenal mountain runner. When she went from yeah. this sort of laid back sort of nutrition sort of lifestyle that um, then she goes, right, I need to take this seriously now. And all of a sudden her body just started breaking down because she was restricting yeah. so much. Um, she was getting colds yeah. and coughs and her immune system was dropping and she just went back to eating that cake. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I think you need to be, I think a lot of people, a lot of us think we know mm. what a healthy diet is, especially when you're a runner or an endurance athlete. But I think that means you cut back calories when that's probably not really the case. It's it's replacing those calories with something that's more nutritional and, and is better for you. Um, because you're, you're right, if you are just cutting a lot of things back, you just will break down very, very quickly. 100%. And I've probably done that myself. And I have tried to be sensible and smart. And uh, you're thinking, geez, I'll just go back to having a bottle of Coke and a Mars bar and... <laughs> I seem to I seem to run better when I had that. <laughs> but that's it with nutrition, isn't it? We're all so, we're also individual. Um, you talked about volume. The nutrition is kind of like the strength condition. You know, you really do need to know what you're what you're doing there. You know, it's how it affects you. I write myself a diet and watch my calories, or I'll go and do a bit of work in the gym there. But if you're not careful with what you're doing, you can end up on the wrong side of it, like you said. Um, you've always done big volume. So what what's what do you call big volume? You mentioned there. Yeah, well, I suppose I would have. Um, I suppose when I would have been with Annadale, I would have always done maybe 50, 60 miles a week. Then when I went over to London, I was doing a lot of stuff on my own. I was kind of then sort of experimenting with things myself and doing like twenty plus miles at the weekend, which was the first time I'd really started doing that, and I felt like I got a lot of benefit out of it. So I sort of felt that the more miles I did, the, just the more comfortable I felt. Uh, but again, when I was training by myself, I, I took like an, a, with Anadil, sorry, I would have done three sessions a week, like intervals or track session, whatever it may be. But I always would have broken down quite easily uh, just because of the intensity of the mm -hmm. sessions. And then when I would have been, when I did a lot of stuff on my own, I just cut that back to two. Uh, and any time I went back to the three, I just always broke down. So the two sessions a week kind of worked well for me. And then to supplement that, I would have done a bit more volume. So I would have been getting up to the sort of that 70, 80 mile mark. Then when I joined Marathon Mission, they were sort of very much about, you know, let's get more, more in the legs and getting up to the 90, sort of hundreds. But, uh, but then, I mean, we would have had talks from people in the Marathon Mission and guys who said, look, you just have to find what mileage suits you. You know, like some of the older mm. generation guys that have been doing 140, 150 plus. Uh, That's one guy he was talking to, I can't remember his name, but he said he tried that. It didn't work for him. And his sweet spot for the marathon was sort of 85 miles. 
know, so it was very different, especially in that generation when Ovis was very high, high volume. Uh, he just said, look, that was just what suited me, that worked for me. Um, so he would have stuck with that. But I suppose at the minute now, uh, it's always depending on what I'm doing. Like at the minute there, I'm about 100 miles a week at the minute. I've got 107 now this week. Wow. Um, so I'll get that for a few weeks and then back off again before, before the next race. So how, how do you... Again, I mean, probably the past eight months have gone from sort of that 80 to 90 and then sort of moved it up a wee bit into the 90s to the 100s. So I've been for a while and then tapered off again and recovered and then go, go back up again. So do you work a cycle then? Do you do like a three-week cycle, fourth rest, or do you can just keep it going through? Yeah, not not really structured that much. Um, I suppose if everything was really consistent and was going okay, yeah, we probably I probably would do it that way. Um, but I suppose there's things that have come up that has meant, meant that I have had a bit of a down week, so we just take that as a down week and then mm-hmm. we move on. And, um get back into the plan again but um, it's just trying to sort of find the time as well <laughs> so, it's... so is, is your is your plan very specific or do you do like you're trying to get the miles in obviously and you sort of you've obviously got a lot of experience in history now and you know when to sort of change your sessions to easier sessions and things like that are you going more on feel or is it very specific working to one of your own plans well i suppose with the getting into the sort of that ultra distance now um and i suppose of the age that i am i try and i've tried to sort of cut back that intensity again i, I just can't recover from that you know even before covid i was maybe still trying to do a bit of road racing and i'd have a good week a good race and then you follow that up with a really poor one and there's just it was just really really inconsistent so i think it was just trying to do too much and do things like even the easy runs were too hard which everything now i've sort of like just pulled that back a bit just Again, just to sort of try and enjoy it because it wasn't really fun, you know, when you weren't really getting the results of the from the effort that you were putting into it. So, um, yeah. So again, I suppose that's kind of why I probably wouldn't do as much hard run as I used to. I'm trying something out with the the volume, um, and then I I do sort of flex it. You know, if I if I have a busy week in work, I won't do like double runs. Um, again, I think just the recovery is is pretty important. Um. Mm just with as you get older you just don't work I was going to say you're getting old Paddy you, you know when you're well, getting you know when you're getting old you start running ultra races <laughs> that's how you know you've hit I know, 40 I know I know <clears throat> so it is a big jump like it was it was pretty exciting to see um, and quite surprising when I first heard it to be honest you know we're used to seeing Paddy sitting leading the Sealy Cup and sitting 5k races and things like that you know flying out at front um, and all of a sudden you're doing race to the stones, a hundred K race. And so tell me for those who don't know about the race to the stones who don't listen to the podcast, <laughs> this is great. I get a whole episode of talking to race about race to the stones. So I used to throw it in, um, but tell me a bit about the race, where it's at, what, what it is. Yeah. Well, I suppose even if I go back, I mean, further than that, Rob, it's to, suppose it's to why I did race to the stones. So, um, well, I was 40 this year, so I sort of said, look, when I turned 40, I wouldn't mind doing something to, rem- to remember my 41st, I'd be wrong, but I suppose something just to challenge myself. I probably, I always sort of thought, at 40, I'm probably done on the 5K and 10K, I probably won't be running track, so let's do something different. So I, 
I'd signed up then to do the marathon de sable. Um, myself and uh, another guy that I would do a bit of coaching for. He was also 60 last year, so he wanted a challenge. So we both just decided, sure, why not? Why not both of us do it? Um, so I suppose that's been postponed a couple of times. I'd entered the race systems last year, but it was postponed. Uh, and again, I suppose I did that one because even in the long, some of the stages in the MDS, I was looking at things like elevation and stuff like that and trying to sort of mimic to some sort of degree what I might sort of face out there. Uh, it's, I don't quite, have a, it's quite surprising, though, isn't it, the elevation in the MDS? Yeah, well, like, I think you're a couple of stages, you remember, like 2,000 feet. Which yeah. to be fair isn't a lot, you know. I'd be going around sleep got in here, and you'd get two thousand easy enough. Uh, so I'm not too bothered about that, but it was just to try and find a race. But the desert, wonderful. the desert isn't flat. <laughs> it's not like you'd expect, you know. There's, there's, no, it's not, and it's hills. not a lot of like you kind of people sort of think it's a lot of sort of sand, but it's not. It's sort of rock beds and dried out river beds mm. and things like that. So I suppose the race of stones in the south of England kind of what it's like that chalk based. So it is hard. So it's 100k, 100K on the, the, the Ridgeway, um, which is... Yeah, so it's from just outside just outside Oxford and then finishes just well, just south of Swindon. It heads yeah. on the sort of like a southwesterly direction. Um, it's on the oldest road yeah, in Britain, I mean, that, apparently. So the Ridgeway is like a, cho- it's like a chalk type path, isn't it? I, I think at yeah, one so stage like the, they had to blacken it out because during the war, um, the Germans actually used to use it to come in and um, bomb London. They used to follow the Ridgeway. Uh-huh. Right, okay. I suppose the, the, the underfoot and not, uh, or the bedrock in the south of England all, is all like chalk sort of um, stone. So it, uh, but yeah, I suppose uh, that's really why I signed up to do the race of the stones. Um, so it was the timing of it in July. It was kind of a good few months before the MDS. So I thought, well, that might sort of suit and uh, as a good sort of prep and warm up. Like, I'm not a mountain runner. I'm not used to running in like the morns. I would I find that very very difficult. So I needed something that was on a runnable path. Yeah. Uh, still you know, a bit of elevation. Yeah, with still a bit of bit of climbing. I think those trail races in the south of England kind of cater to that. Uh, I think if you go more north, you're probably going into the Lake District, and I'm just I just don't have the background to that. Like you mm. know, I think uh, I've done a wee bit of... in the morn. It's one of the reasons why I did the Race of Stones. It's almost that next step up, isn't it, from that sort of road type, somewhere in between. You know, it's not climbing yeah, well, up mountains, it. but it's good, long, hilly climbs. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it is it's, it is runnable. You know, like, it is a lot of rutted sort of paths and bike tracks, and there's motorbikes going up and down it and things like that, and there's overgrown grass. You don't really know where you're putting your feet half the time, but, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, like... There's no way I could run up um, anywhere in the Lake District where the moorings, you know, just I'm just not used to that. I, I find that very, very difficult. So it was just sort of a natural, natural choice. And the timing, like I said, the timing before the MDS probably suited quite well. Did you change your training much? Not really. To be honest, I probably mm-hmm. am doing similar sort of volume and mileage that I was doing when I was maybe doing the marathons. Um probably a bit of the intensities come out of it but probably the weekends i would do more longer back-to-back runs um i wouldn't have done particularly long runs well i think i think the longest i did was about 26 miles i suppose i'm covering it quite quick enough so i think that was maybe like a three and a half hour run off-road 
And then if you know a guy that I know who's into the trail running, he said, No, 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 you're like you need to be spending more time on your feet. You know, that's the whole thing to back to back. To ultra trails is like, you know, you're spending sort of five, six hours on, on your feet. And I was kinda of like, I just don't really have that time to be <laughs> to be out there for for six hours. So it kind of played in my head a wee bit going into it, but you know, I've been doing the sort of maybe 26 on a, or my love's only a one-off, but usually anything from a 20 to 24 on a Saturday and then a 16 to a 20 on a Sunday. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to get a bit of climbing in. Because the, back, the back-to-backs are important, aren't they? Doing that second session on tired legs from the day before. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think of, I never really sort of ran them particularly hard. Um so I was, I actually always felt sort of pretty comfortable doing that. Uh, mm. Like there, this weekend I had twenty four yesterday, and I did nineteen today, and the nineteen was was grand. And even the twenty four did yesterday had over four thousand feet of climbing. You know, so it's still a good bit of climbing in the legs, uh, and it's grand. You know, it's, so, it's okay. So you do, you do get used to, it, but I suppose I've had a year or so to try and. Yeah get the body working that way especially you know i suppose maybe that was a great thing with covid you know it has given me that bit of extra time to sort of get used to, to that way of running so talk to me about the experience then the difference in likes of running a 5k or 10k because it's a totally different sport isn't it you know it's just eyeballs yeah. out leading from the front and you're racing everybody else that's around you and that aspect comes into it but <clears throat> it's a totally different experience isn't it running 100k yeah, like I mean, you're sort of saying like about a five k or a ten k, like it is. As soon as a gun goes, you're you're out of there. You know, it's just run hard for as long as you can, sort of thing. You know, and even sort of the atmosphere in it. Like I, I always sort of tell this story of uh, like a, was a five mile race somewhere, and someone at the start line said, "Oh, good to see you here, Paddy. I'm going to sit on you for as long as I can." Then, and you know, you're kind of go, "You're not going to sit on me," kind of thing. And <laughs> it, you know, sort of, sort of, you sort of get that aggressive mentality at the start, just to going eyeballs out from the from the gun whereas the uh, the 100k you're kind of going right i'm gonna have to go out here uh at a pace that's slower than my long run on a sunday just to try mm. and sort of manage myself so it's very much more relaxed people are talking you know there's kind of a bit more of a enjoyable experience really uh, even though you've got 100k did it yeah i was interested to see how paddy was going to be able to hold back in 100k so that must be one of the biggest challenges for you you know when you've got this pace in your legs because this is yeah. a this is like eight to nine ten hours of a race you know it's not eight nine ten minutes <laughs> like what you can throw out there like but it's it must have been that must be one of your biggest challenges yeah well i think i sort of said that even on the on the video uh you dropped off there sorry, did you yeah, hold on, just one second. You got me again there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I even said that in the video that, um, you know, I kind of had it planned that, knowing with the whole COVID regulations now, it wasn't a mass start. They're going to let us go every sort of five seconds or so. So I thought, well, do you know what? Because this is new to me, I'll let a dozen people go in the first wave and then I'll jump in and go. But as soon as you, as you heard the announcement saying, oh, we're going to start in 10 minutes, everyone just went to line up. And I was still, I was still at the lorry where you put your drop-off bag, still putting on my shoes. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, look at everyone going over there. But I was kind of like of the mindset, like, don't worry about it. 
whatever it is, you'll work your way through. Just take your time, get yourself sorted, and then go and line up with the rest of them. So, again, by the time it, I probably went through, it was about maybe 10 minutes uh, before from the first person left. So it was fine. Like, it was actually quite good because you were getting blocked by people on the path, and you went, right, okay, I don't know what, it doesn't really matter. Take your time. There's another eight hours or so of running here, so being slow for the next few minutes isn't really going to make a difference. And to be fair, it's strung out pretty. It was yeah. again probably because we started staggered start. It was strung out anyway, so you were able to sort of get past and um, people moved over for you quick enough. So it was okay. But I mean, that was sort of in the back of my mind. It's like don't go too hard, you know. Don't get carried away. And uh, I always I was looking at my watch frequently enough at the for the first sort of. 10 20k because you know yourself probably that course is quite a nice flowing bits to mm-hmm. it on that first half and go through a golf course and then you're going through a nice wooded area that's uh, obviously had a bit of traffic so it's not as public friendly you know it's you know it's walkers on it all the time so it's good underfoot and you'd look down your watch and you're going six minute mile pace and you're like gonna you know slow down here you know <laughs> catch catch yourself on or a couple of these steep hills at the start and you're going right just walk just walk these it doesn't really matter you know you're going to bust the legs here straight away if you're trying to run up these at any pace so just walk them and uh, it's a gorgeous course yeah, though, it was, isn't it you talked about the golf course i remember that walking across the golf course or running across it i should say with golfers shouting at us what's going on and you're wondering like am i actually on the course now <laughs> i know of it was, I mean, surreal. It was, uh, it was re- it was raining in the morning that we were going across. I was off eating nobody on the golf course, so it was actually quite nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, the course was the court. The the overall course was very good, and I suppose I really really paid attention to it for maybe the first half. Mm. The second half, uh, the second half, I really can't really remember too much about. Uh, just I suppose as things got tough, and you know, you're basically just looking down at your feet for half the half the time. In the, mm. So what about what about your fueling strategy then? Because hundred k distance is pretty new for you, like, and there's no way that you're going to have that dialed in in the first hundred k race, even though you won it. <laughs> so, um, but you must have like there must be so a lot of learning to be taken out of that race. Yeah, so I suppose it's a sort of fueling strategy then. Like you're right, I didn't really know what to be doing. Um, even when I did the couple of marathons. I didn't even really have that nailed down. And I was always I was always of the sort, like you go out for your Sunday run for a couple of hours, two and a half hours, and I never took any water, never took any gels. You just got the body used to it. Mm. And then when you were doing a race that you needed it, it was like a bonus. Um, so I never really paid too much attention to it. Uh, and then for the race, leading up to the race, I thought, right, do you know what, Paddy, be sensible here, get a load of gels, find what suits you or what, or what you're comfortable with taking, uh, what's easy to open up, what sits well on your stomach, what tastes nice. So I think I maybe tried about five different uh, types of gel. And then when I was sort of packing that week, I was like, I don't want to be carrying all these gels here for the whole race. You know, I'm I'm going there sort of trying to be semi-competitive. I want to be packing light. So I'll pack a few gels that I'm comfortable with taking and and I might like. And then I'll just use the stuff that they have at the aid stations. Um, I suppose with COVID then, they were kind of restricted on what they could okay. have at the aid station. So literally all they had was your high five gels, uh, drinks, and then chocolate and Skittles wow. and bag of crisps. You know? So there's no, 
fruit or anything like that yeah, but on a, my a monster it. runners kind of like because it's fresh in the mouth and it tastes good and yeah. things like that so um when i done so it, it was phenomenal like it was like it was like running into an expo every every fuel station you know they had just everything there there's one thing stuck out yeah yeah no it did it really wasn't like that uh so I suppose for that first half, I had a maybe five gels that I had myself and four gels, and that, that was grand for the first half. And then once they ran out, I kind of had to start using the stuff that the race provided, and I sort of do sort of I, I suppose I sort of think well, I didn't, you know, they never really sat very well on me, but do you know what? You're in the second half of the race, so even if you had yeah. your own stuff, maybe it wouldn't have uh, been particularly good either, but. Yeah, I suppose with the amount of calories you're burning, you really do need to sort of hone in on that and maybe find something you something more solid that you can eat in that second half because um yeah, it didn't really uh didn't really it's a, it's a difficult thing, like, you know, because a lot of the sort of coaches that we've had on would tell you to you know, you need to be knocking in like um ninety grams of carbs an hour. You know, that's a lot of yeah. fuel, you know, and it's how yeah. you get that to how you can train your stomach to take that much fuel to keep you yeah. consistent all the way through to the end. Um, yeah. But, you know, you came first in the race, like, so... Um, but, yeah, well, like, I mean, I suppose, I, like, I did have this flipping peanut butter energy thing with put in my bag, and I went to take that out at one point, and I started eating it, and I actually just spat it out because I was like, I'm not going to run on chewing on this thing. Yeah. So I just, I just, I just threw it away. I was like, whatever it would be. And then as well, at halfway, I was speaking to one of the marshals, and he'd have sort of a bit of a. I think he sort of said he'd done the race before and done a few other ultras. And I sort of say, well, give me a bit of advice here. You know, what would you sort of take here? <laughs> so he said, oh, I, I just, I would just grab something and I go crisps, you know, because you're get a bit of salt into you. The crisps are easy to eat. And I was like, right, okay, do you know, what? I'll, I'll do that. Take my gel here and eat, start eating some crisps, but. Again, I started eating a handful of crisps and it's just like, this is just drying out in my mouth here, you know. So again, I just poured the crisps out and ran on and didn't even bother with it. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly if I was to do something like that again, it would be, I'd have to think what else I could do. And, it, you know, it, it didn't really help either the way you were. I was there on my own. Uh, you weren't even allowed like a crew to meet you out in the course. Uh, so even if even if you had that, they can maybe have been having food or more gels or something that you're more comfortable with which would have would have helped um but you know i was basically doing it solo on my own you were sort of lucky with the weather though you know i suppose that's one thing you need to be mindful of is that it wasn't really hot um you talked about salts and things like that and how important electrolytes are in running a sort of 100k distance so the marathons and sables it was great for you doing the race to the stones because it's generally pretty wet (laughs) I know when I yeah. done it, it rained the whole time, which was good. Uh, um, but yeah. it doesn't really help you when you go to the MDS, you know, and you're going to be losing like so much salt and fluids and nutrition then will become equally yeah. as, well, m- even more important because you're obviously this finely tuned machine, like, <laughs> um, but how you fuel that in the different environments is going to become critical to you. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it would have been great if it, well, I suppose if it was closer to the MDS and it was, it was warm, it probably would have been good, but I wasn't too bothered because even if it was sort of 30 degrees, yeah. it's that far out that you, you're not going to get any benefit really of it. But it probably for that race on the day, it probably would have made things uh, a lot different. 
uh, and probably because I didn't uh, replenish fuel that well, I probably got away with it because it was reasonably cool. Mm-hmm. Like it was still quite muggy and humid, and you were sweating a lot, but it could have been a, a lot worse. So yeah, was, I mean, MDS is going to be a hell of a lot different, and uh, I think they have you sort of they have you well schooled in how much salt to be taken during during the stage, and okay. um, be important to sort of follow that. And um, you'll have to listen to Robbie Britton's podcast which is all about salt <laughs> how many miles a week do you do you run robbie salt electrolytes every answer you have was electrolytes like um your fuel stops then because there's quite a lot of, there was quite a lot of fuel stops there was 10 there when i did the race i remember getting to the yeah. eight fuel stop same thing and i just want a burger just somebody give me something proper to eat like please i'm sick of all this munchy stuff like but um well do you know what actually when you say about the burger i'd actually mean contemplating there was a mcdonald's beside my hotel the night before and i thought i might go and get a cheeseburger here and just wrap it yeah. and cling fellow because I, I swear like i always have, I have this running joke with another fella like there's been a couple of times i've had a mcdonald's and then i've gone out and done a great session a couple of hours later i'm like there must be something in mcdonald's whether it be sugar in the bap and the protein and the fat in it that <laughs> it must just sort of hit everything that you need it's funny. Oh, no, we, yeah, we, actually... we had an endurance runner on before. He, he'd won like, there was an event with 10 ultras and he'd done, he'd won like eight of them. You know, the 10 ultras in 10 days, he won eight of them. <laughs> and he fueled on McDonald's like, and I was like, oh my God, that just blows everything mm. out of the water. But he says <laughs> it's, it's all the crap that's in them and all the salt that's in them. Um, he yeah. downed that with a pint, so each their own, yeah. I suppose. I know, I know quite, quite a few sort of iron, iron men. And they would sort of eat a, eat a burger or something during their uh, during their race as well. So it must be something in it. I don't think I'll get a McDonald's in the middle of the Sahara though. <laughs> you have to be careful with the fuel stops though, isn't there? Ten fuel stops. Um, I drifted around the fifty k for about thirty or forty minutes because it was a little bit bunked yeah. and I was I wasn't really focused. I didn't. It was my first ultra as well, so I didn't have a plan going in. Um, you can lose yeah. a lot of time. See, you're okay. <laughs> you weren't okay, but you were you were in there first. I had loads of people yeah. around me, so you're sitting talking to people and chatting away, and then you walked around the f- food, and I didn't know what to eat. And next, you know, you're like, "Sugar, I've been here a long time." That was a big takeaway uh, from me was how much time you can lose at the fuel stops if you don't watch. Yeah, and no, I think this year they probably had a few less, uh, so maybe seven or eight in total. And then again, I suppose because they didn't have that much stuff at them, yeah. it didn't it didn't really interest me. So I think maybe a couple of times I maybe used the toilet, and that was probably probably about it we uh, refilled the water bottles um but yeah i mean like you you really can lose lose a lot of time uh i can i can understand why at the halfway time at the halfway point you could lose a lot because it is a big area and i'd say if there was a lot of people in there at the time there'd be a good atmosphere in it because it looked yeah. as though you're kind of i was kind of walking through that even though there's nobody else there going god these people are doing the two-day event they're gonna have beer crack here tonight you know there's beer tents set up and all their t- sleeping tents are set up there. It's and a big decision thought, point, like scary. when you're doing the full thing and that place is loaded with people having a good time. You're like, oh, I could just sit up here and have a great night with these guys. like, And then you just go off on your own again, then back on. Yeah, the that's what, uh, I suppose that's the good thing about being coming in there sort of first. That there's no atmosphere there at all. It was just completely empty. So you just walked on through. It's pretty hard. It's hard enough, like second half isn't there's a lot of long dragging hills on the second half yeah like i mean like i said earlier i I actually can't really remember much in the second half uh but i think it's because it was kind of hard 
Uh, but you're right, there is a lot of sort of. I think the first half, there's maybe like you're going through like nice wee towns and villages, and there's things to see, and some of those wee towns were people in them that were sort of cheering you on. So it was good sort of atmosphere, whereas the second half just seemed a lot more remote. Uh, mm. And you wouldn't have seen too many people. The ground was a bit more rugged, and yeah, it was just it was pretty hard that second one. What about the race aspect of it then? Um, the person that was in second and third, because you started ten minutes behind. Um, so were you focusing in on that at certain stages? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the guys who actually were second and third, I can remember sort of past them anyway on the on that first half, but. Again, you're not really focusing on who's who. Not that I would have known who any of them were. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of just sort of trying to sit on my own pace. A couple of times, a couple of people have passed. I would have sort of ran behind them for a bit just to sort of just take it easy. And uh, and then you look at your watching going, oh, no, maybe I'm a bit too slow here. So just uh, move on. But uh, yeah, I think it was maybe about the 30K checkpoint. The guy sort of said, oh, there's your third on the road. Of course, I was like, well, he's, you know, how far am I behind or, yeah. you know, like this here, you know, and then you started getting in that race mode and you're like, God, you know what, I probably shouldn't have even cared who was ahead of me. Because uh, then you were sort of looking up ahead to see if you could see any bodies and you think you see a runner and then you catch up to that person and it's just somebody out for a run, you know, and probably stupid stuff like that that kind of get get away from yourself and uh, gets you off your, your plan that you had. Uh, and then actually coming up with the two of them, literally by halfway, and they were on the two day event. So, oh, okay. you know, they, they, they weren't even they weren't even doing my race. You must have been pretty relaxed for that then, because your race of stones is a big race. You know, it's I know it's different with the COVID situation, so I don't know what the numbers were. But there was a thousand people doing it, a hundred k, which is yeah. pretty unique. You know, it's not like 50, yeah. 60 people gathering. Um, 60, 50 or 60 Neanderthals sort of gathering to do a 100k race. This yeah. is a real big event. I think it's Threshold, isn't it? That They have like a trail yeah, series okay. and it's like Race to the Tower, Race to the Castle, Race to the King. And they get a yeah. huge gathering of people, like, you know. So to be leading that race, you know, in your first 100k, I suppose there's a fine line as well where it could go wrong at any point. I suppose that's in the back of your mind. Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose, I suppose I'd looked at the uh, previous year's results just to see what some of the winning times were and what you'd have to run if you were to be top 10. And, look, I didn't have any mm-hmm. ambition of winning it or anything like that. I thought, I'm just going over there. It really was just to get a 100-mile race done so that when I go to MDS and we've got the long stage, I can go, well, I've done 100K before. I can manage an 80 or 90K. I know how to sort of learn something that I know how to then pace myself for like we talked earlier about nutrition and hydration so that was so that was my mindset going into it. it was like don't really care what position to come yeah i'd like to do well but uh we'll see what happens but yeah i mean i'd seen the winning results and i'd worked out the paces and things like that and uh looked to see well in 100k how much did it sort of say you drift over from the second half and then i sort of was working it the all competitive side of me yeah, comes into yeah. play, you know, you're trying to work out what pace you need to be running. So I in my head I sort of thought, well, training's been going well. If I have a good day, I'll be top five. You know. So uh, well, you had a good day. Yeah. So had a good day. It wasn't a course record, obviously, so it wasn't a perfect day. Um but your time was what was your time? It was eight hours. Eight, eight, eight twenty one. 
821 so it was around eight minute miles just around that sort of pace which is great yeah, pace um what went really well for you in the race um i suppose i was i was looking back on i was just quite uh, pleased with whenever things were pretty tough i'd say they were pretty tough from that sort of 70k point onwards he still kept moving, you know, and even times when I, I thought I was God, I, I'm absolutely wrecked here, you know. When you were running sections and you were looking at your watch, you're going, well, actually, my pace isn't too bad when I'm moving. You know, I'm still doing every seven and a half minute miles when I was moving, thinking that's great, you know, keep that going. But then you sort of stop and you're walking up inclines that you shouldn't have been walking up, but you're still moving, you're still walking, mm. and then you go back into running, you're still doing a good pace. So I suppose I sort of thought, yeah, okay. I walked good bits of those, that second half, but when I did run, my pace was quite good. So I was able to sort of hone in on that nutrition side, like we were talking about, would that got me a bit further on during the race or would have slowed down that much. So as well as that, I was pleased with that. that uh, even though it was tough, even when I finished, I thought, well, it could have been worse. Mm. Yeah, so it was, I was just happy to get through it, sort of. And come first and as well. In a, in, <laughs> Let's in not go past mindset. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a win always helps. Um, what was your What was your biggest takeaway from the race? Biggest piece of learning? Um, probably just about the pacing of it, about how you're judging your effort. And um, you know, I think that's really, really important. And I sort of thought, God, you know what? Maybe if I had pushed that wee bit extra in the first half. When I felt good, I could have maybe, uh, or if I pulled back a wee bit, would have maybe that would have lasted a bit longer. And you know, but then you kind of go, look, fuck, you're very comfortable in the first half. You know, you did what you mm-hmm. sort of meant to do. So, um, yeah, I think it's just sort of pace judgment. Probably again, like we talked about nutrition and hydration. Probably I do need to work on that and just uh, hone that a little bit. But that probably just comes with practice. Any kit mistakes at all? Happy with the kit? Yeah, it's worth it because I'm new to uh, sort of the trail running thing. I just don't have probably the shoes that I'm maybe going, yeah, do you know what? I absolutely love these. Mm. You know, so it's, I've probably tried maybe four or five different pairs of shoes, but I'm not going to keep buying a pair of shoes every couple of weeks. Cause, the problem uh, is you're covering, are, you're covering so many. These days. The problem is you're covering so many different types of terrain, isn't it? Like, so it's hard to get something that hits that sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah. comfortable and stops your legs fatiguing over that sort of distance. Um, yeah. I so, do sort of notice, I do sort of notice that like when I am off road, God, it just kills my feet. So I do need something with a bit of sort of protection on it. And uh, what I'm shoes did you wear? I wore a pair of Brooks Catamount. So they're kind of are a bit more cushioning on them. Uh, tread on them's not huge, but it was enough for, for that race. There's a lot of people in trainers and just with the rain on the the way that chalk goes whenever it's wet. Yeah. It's so slippy. I don't know. I don't know how anyone did that with trainers on because I was slipping all over the place at times and some of the steep downhills. Yeah. You're like, God, if you're wearing trainers down there, you'll be slipping on your backside the whole way. It's a pretty unique course. Like, so like the main thing obviously was going into there and ticking that box and you've mentally 
done a hundred K. So when you get to long stage in MDS, you know, that's obviously that helps the confidence and things like that. And I was also to test your pacing, to test all those things that we've talked about, your kit, your nutrition, your fueling. Um, cause ultra running is a learning progress. There's absolutely no doubt about it. No matter if you come first or not in the first race, yeah. um, you done fantastic coming first, but if it was your 10th hundred K, you know, you would have done better because you take that learning forward every single time. Yeah. Um, but the key thing was MDS. So just tell me a little bit about MDS for those that don't know, what is the structure of that week? Yeah. So basically it is about 250 kilometers over, over a week. Um, you're basically flying into Southern Morocco. They'll bust you out about six hours onto the edge of the Sahara. And then you're basically on your own for for that week. Uh, they'll provide you with sleeping arrangements, which is basically a pole in the ground with a black canvas <laughs> over the top. And they'll provide you with water for the week, but rationed water. And then you have to carry your food for the week and sleeping bag and clothing, whatever, whatever you want to bring. But you can pack as light as you want, as long as it's a minimum of six and a half kilos. And then whatever you want, but you don't want to be bringing anything too heavy because you're lugging that about. Um, so yeah, so I think the first few stages are anything from sort of 18 to 22 miles. And then the fourth stage is uh, the long stage, which is about from like 80 to 90 something kilometers. Uh, you're basically getting two days to complete that because obviously a lot of people will be take over 24 hours to complete that so if you're quick enough and you get that done in one day you've got a rest day the next day okay uh, and then the sixth day is you do a full marathon and then the final day is just a charity stage it doesn't actually count to the overall result but it's just a bit of fun so i think it's like a five to ten k uh, it's pretty cruel though isn't it like you know to have that double day where it's at like and you're carrying your own food for the week so you don't get to go to the shop in between there is no shops like <laughs> totally self-sufficient race and you have to like it changes the whole dynamic of racing doesn't it like it's no longer just about you and your fitness you've got all of these other complications that could or what well will appear <laughs> there's no doubt about yeah. it like in your feet and your the heat and sand and how that's going to drain your legs and your pack is going to be critical like have you been training a lot with your pack weight and things like that <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> well funny yesterday yesterday when i did that 24 miles i put about uh i put about three kilos into the pack so i suppose that was really the heaviest i have and so it was just to build it up a wee bit so i did uh the 24 mile run it's just did two 12 mile loops so i did that for carried it back for the first 12 stuck it in the car and then just did the second 12 so just to sort of ease it off again we've got eight weeks so you know i don't want to be doing too much too soon yeah um like there's no point there's no point training with the pack six months ago you know like you may as well just get used to it yeah it's going to be heavy enough at the start but you'll be eating your food every day mm. the weight's going to come down uh so I suppose it's uh, just trying to trying to manage that. But I mean, you mentioned about sort of kit and stuff for the race to the stones. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what shorts I want to wear, what t-shirt I want to wear, what water bottles I want to use, what food I bought packs of food to test food. And sounds like uh, you're well on track, anyway. <laughs> well, I'm well on track. I've tested a lot of stuff, but I'm still unsure about what I want to be doing. But uh, I think that's sort of the fun of it, anyway. 
Um, food is going to be really difficult to dial in, like what you bring, what you don't bring. Um, weight being the big issue, obviously. Like, so are you, how are you going to identify that? Are you, un- like, what type of things are you going to bring? Have you been unpacking and looking at people's reviews and things online to see what they've been doing? Yeah, like, I suppose I have, like, I suppose that's a good thing about the internet. There's that much stuff on it that you're, mm. you're able to find uh, people's plans that they've used previously. Um, I think I use one of the American girls. Obviously, I've looked at hers um and see what she sort of brought so it is like it's like you said you're, you're trying to weigh up a calorie intake to the weight uh, so you do have to bring a minimum of 2000 calories a day okay. uh but like i'm not i'm not a small guy you know it's not much six, 2, foot, and, six foot and 70 odd kilos so 2000 calories won't be enough for me like you're always going to be in a calorie deficit no matter what you do yeah, yeah. but you don't want to be um you don't want to be bringing too much because you end up with a 10 kilo pack and you know it'll break your back so it's trying to get a bit of that balance so um yeah when you try and sort of put out in the spreadsheet and you're putting the weight in the calories and then you start taking stuff off to make things lighter you're not leaving yourself with much food every day to be honest a couple of hydrated meals and that's about it um have you any treats in there at all i don't at the minute and i'm kind of like do you know what for the week I could probably do without a treat um, I know this sort of says it's a bit of a pick me up but if it means putting three skittles in a wee bag well then that's <laughs> that's what that's what I'll do so tell me that tell me the main reason why you're running um, and taking part in the MDS yeah well, I suppose it was originally you know because I was 40 Hugh was 60 and then when we both decided that we were going to do it we thought well sure why don't we do a bit of fundraising for it Um so we are raising money for the Northern Irish Hospice and the Irish Hospice. Um, so with you, with his business connections, we try to sort of get a couple of charities that would sort of appeal or um, be relevant to a wider audience. Um, but yeah, I suppose how like you're talking about sort of how COVID's impacted training. The COVID's have been a nightmare for our fundraising. It's just mm. not been able to do anything really. We've just been reliant on sort of donations online um, we are trying to get a few things organized now as things are opening up but we don't really have too much time and you know things like Robbie like it's if you're trying to get something big organized it's yeah. paperwork and you have to fit that into your busy life as it is uh, so it's been a bit of a pain but look I mean we're still about I think we've raised about 16,000 or wow. so so far so Q, you know, Q, even, Q Morgan, isn't it? Q has raised yeah. a phenomenal amount for the hospices. Like so, I actually ran Tokyo with you. I think, I think it did. He's mad as a hatter. <laughs> so he yeah. is. So if he's uh, listening to this, Q, you're mad. But he has ra- he has raised a fortune, like for the char- for all the different types of charities as well. Like, so it's a key thing. Yeah, like if I, yeah, I think he had. I think he had raised maybe about fifty grand for one charity for one marathon. He did as well. So I think that's why. He, I think that's why he pushed the envelope out to say we'll raise a hundred grand for this one. But uh, yeah, COVID's just been a difficult month. But look, it's difficult for those charities trying to raise money. Yeah, so for them all. Any, anything we can get for them, you know, even if we only get to twenty grand, you know, it's, yeah. it's more than they would have got otherwise. Anything you know, at so all, like so. We'll definitely put all, we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes for anybody that wants to donate, and we'll put a bit no, more information that. about that onto onto the page. So after coming first. Like I was talking to Barry McCarroll there, we're all sleeve gullion runners, so I'm a sleeve gullion runner as well. Also is Barry, which yeah. is odd. Um, because I live in Kilkeel and he lives in Lurgan. <laughs> so um but it's that small club that we like and that that 
you know it's yeah. a bit low sort of profile and it's nice um with great people in it like um but i was like you know i'd love to see him taking on the likes of the the alps and things like that and utmb i know you don't do much in the mountains but has it sort of opened yeah. a few doors in your mind to think well geez i come first in that you know my first race and i have a lot to learn and um it could be an exciting path to go down now Okay, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm, I know I keep harping on about age and stuff, but I think in the ultra sort of field, you can probably get a few more years out of yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly like some of those European races would be great to go and do, mm. and they probably are a bit more, I shouldn't say runnable because they're hilly as anything, but, you know, they're... They're more runnable they're than the mourns. They're more runnable. You yeah, know, you've got like a five-mile five downhill. They are yeah, there are walkers paths essentially. You're going yeah. like, okay, it might be a bit technical, but you're not going down an open mountain and you don't know where you're putting your foot feet. Yeah. And uh, again, like not being used to that, that, that scares the life out of me. So, because every time I put my foot down, I think, you know, turn an ankle. But uh, yeah, like certainly some of those races out in Europe just look, look amazing. But I would have to do some serious work and get used to the elevation and get the quads strengthened a wee bit. Cause you are, you are. Yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna have to do a little bit of strength and conditioning for that. But you are a young, you're a young endurance athlete. That's the that's the that's the great thing about these ultra races. You know, you see these guys in mid forties, even pushing on to fifty, past fifty, even like doing exceptional in these races. Like the the endurance aspect yeah. does stick with you. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. And the good thing is. As you were saying with your five Ks, you know that intensity which can burn you out the older you get. Um, yeah. You can actually let go a lot of that. You know, it's a different type yeah. of thing altogether. Okay, it is absolutely, and you can sort of even you can see that even with the, how much of a leveler it is between the men and women. Mm. You know, if you're to go to like a road race or something, you know, unless you're an elite woman, you're not gonna you're not gonna see too many women about you, but. You know, when you go to an ultra, like you know, it's not uncommon. It's uncommon to see women in the top, top five, top three, yeah. even winning races. You know, so it's it is more just about how you judge your effort and pacing yourself and managing race management. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you know. it'd be interesting to see how you on those big races <laughs> when you absolutely t you, this might never happen to you it happens to me in about 10 times in every <laughs> single race like you know when you just cannot move anymore like and i think that's the beauty of the ultra running really is that um the pain cave as they call it like and how that yeah. it's a different aspect to running isn't it it's a lot more mental as well as the physical yeah, well, i suppose funny i think it was about maybe within just before COVID probably started, I did a, a race down in Wicklow. It was the end of sort of road racing season, so I thought I'll just do something for a bit of a laugh. And I'd actually put my back out at like a month before the race. Got sort of back to doing some sort of running. Got a cold, but I went and did the run anyway. And uh, God almighty, it was horrendous. And I thought, God, this this mountain sort of stuff just isn't for me, you know. But uh, yeah, you just sort of have to have to get used to it like any like anything else mm. um, pacing might know. be the most difficult thing <laughs> for you having such good yeah, good pace in your legs like so um but you're in no better place for it you've got sleeve gullion on your doorstep you've got the more mountains just around the corner um i remember yeah, run, I'd, I'd probably do a lot of my running up ravensdale and along the coulee mountains there and uh, just the side of the mourns uh 
Steve Gunning's not bad, but there's not too many paths or places to yeah. run up there. You know, you, you let you to go around the drive or up to the top, and, and that's really it. Ravensdale there, there's plenty of running that you can do over the coolies and, and through the forest. So it's it's a lovely place to run. I actually quite like that. But you but you are right. You know, the likes of um, the UTMB races, they are similar to that. You know, they're not. Mm. It's different when you go to the likes of TDS, I suppose. Like, but you know, you've got like five mile downhill pads that you can run on, like and you're not like off terrain, off trails, sort of scrambling up mountains when you're doing those races. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is pretty, it's not that much different than it, what you're doing. But then it's, tra- it's trying to mimic a five mile downhill somewhere because <laughs> if, you're, if you're not used to that five miles downhill, it will just destroy the legs. Just destroy the quads. I'm walking down, so I'm all right, like, but <laughs> it's a walking trail. What are we talking about? Paddy, thanks very much. I'm sort of excited to get back to the podcast. It was great to start off with uh, a fellow club runner and back into the race of the stones. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't man. I didn't mention CCC once, so I had to mention it there. I did say UTMB <laughs> races. I almost mentioned CCC. That was the next buzzword. Well, sure. It's uh, it's coming up soon, isn't it? So maybe get someone on then uh, to talk about their race there. Yeah, it'd be cool. Paddy, thanks very much. I'm actually going to release no this. I'm I'm not going to do any editing. I'm gonna. It was a good podcast, so I'm just going to release it as it is. So I'll get it out tomorrow. And I'll, no worries. I'll I'm sure a, if you I'll forward a few links then, even for the charity. And uh, even if you want to put that video on, you can, you can do that. Yeah, without a doubt, 100%. Like, um, I'll put a donation down myself as well. Pally, looking forward to seeing you in the Alps, by the way. I think it's going to be class. Well, let's, it's let's, an exciting. Let's, let's, let's get the desert done first and <laughs> yeah. see if we come out of that live. So, what date, what date is that on? Uh, it's the start of October. I think it's the 1st of October. We fly out. Um, yeah, so we'll do a follow up. I think what we'll do is we'll do a follow up. I'll not talk as much um, to see how that went, and that'll be that'll be interesting. Be interesting to get it before and after. How did how did your feeling go, <laughs> Paddy? Hello, <laughs> hello. That's excellent. Hello. Thanks very much. Appreciate awesome. that. All right, good man. Love it. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed our tune episode. It was ironic that we started with the Race of the Stones. Maybe the universe pulled us in that direction. We have an epic episode coming up this Friday. Great Britain marathoner and mountain runner Rebecca Robinson unpacks the importance of reds, relative energy deficiency in sport, the causes, the impact, and more importantly, the prevention to ensure that you have the optimal energy availability for those key sessions and races. It's great to be back. Thanks for your continued support. Until Friday, stay safe and keep on moving.